Cameron, for some of the listeners that watch on YouTube, sometimes I'm recording in a room with a guitar behind me. It's one of one of my passions. I'm a trashy guitar player. You have guitars on your wall. Cameron's a great guitar player. Um, <laughs> and I just recently upgraded some pickups in my guitar, and it just sounds heavenly. I bought these things called, like, um, uh, Seymour Duncan Pearly Gates. Like, I guess Duncans are just, dude, those are the pickups to go with because I was I was rocking out last night for a rehearsal and it was glorious and then this morning like you know when you're just totally feeling a hobby right you're like yeah. i i picked up my guitar again and i was like i just want to play this all day like i can't get anything done and i was working from home right and i was like i just i just want to keep hearing it it's just amazing glorious sound when you're hooked you're hooked you know like it happens with me with guitar stuff and gear um, sometimes it's creating music sometimes it's playing video games and I just feel like I'm in this season of my life where like hobbies are just great. Like I want a hobby vacation or something like that. You know <laughs> what I mean, Cameron? I yeah, I totally get that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough because you have to find a hobby that you can do like intermittently. You know, where it's like yeah. you don't have to do it all the time, or like you don't have to be like super committed to it, like putting sinking a bunch of time in it into it, um, which is a little frustrating, I guess. But you know, that's the that's the way the world works. Yeah, well, playing guitar is definitely like, oh, you need to put a ton of time into it. Otherwise, it's yeah. embarrassing. Like, every time someone hands me a guitar and they're like, yeah, isn't this great? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, um, don't know what to play on it because I just, I'm still trying to learn every note on the neck and stuff. I, I've actually seen some pretty cool videos lately where it was like, if you know the octaves of bar chords, you know, like, 60% of the neck already. And I was like, yeah. oh, wait a second. I do know that, you know? So I'm getting there. I'm working on it. But this is not a guitar podcast. It's about <laughs> movies. Um, Cameron. Do you yes. ever feel like, this is totally random, but do you ever feel like um, the, uh, like guitar content is always kind of weird and boring? <laughs> no. I, I, I don't know. Like I watch a lot of guitar stuff on YouTube. So I'm obsessed with, I mean, I have major gas gear ac acquisition syndrome. Sure, so, me too. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the whole idea around pursuing a tone uh, in a guitar that you're like kind of carving out as your own, like it pulls from influences of classic guitarists and or people you look up to, right? Like I have, um, like for me, I really enjoy like punk music or alternative rock Um so it's it's not as classy as some people who are like, oh, you know, I want to play a jazz master and get that warm tone that solos along with like a smooth kit. You know, like for me, I'm per, I'm pursuing that rock sound. And um, I've always looked up to the guitarist of Blink-182 because he actually put out a documentary called The Pursuit of Tone that was sponsored by Ernie Ball. It's on YouTube. And he's, a, he's not a great guitarist, but I think his sound is what really carries his like subpar playing, you know? Um, yeah. and I think that really influenced me in a way where it's like, I don't have time to, to study. I'm getting older, so I'm not learning as fast. Right. I'm like, if I can have a textural tone that is just to die for that you want to hear all the time, you know, like I can get by with playing weird stuff. And <laughs> I I've worked with a lot of different guitarists that can shred and they show up with gear that like sounds just treacherous with a band, <laughs> but yeah. And this is this is a whole nother conversation. Like uh, I mean, I could go on and on, right? I use a um digital simulator called a Helix. It's it's something that like emulates the sound of a speaker, amp, and cab with the microphone that's programmed with it. So all I do is plug one line into that and I get that sound. And these other guys are hauling in all this gear because they have that classic mindset. They're like, Well, I love Zeppelin, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna get that sound and it's like their stuff comes out noisy muddy and weird because they don't actually know what they're doing with it and it's yeah. like i'd rather just have that knowledge and understanding of the way sound works with the stuff it's again too too long of a question <laughs> but i find like when it comes to youtube content they're always usually talking around tone or dialing in stuff so for me it's like super interesting to hear how some people are like i i usually do a high cut down to 3k you know low cut up to six you know, that's when you're talking with the digital sim, uh, like the similar stuff or simulator stuff with Kemper, uh, Helix. Uh, what's the other one? 
there's a bunch of them now, but they they basically let you do um, digital parametric EQ stuff inside of your guitar sound, so it sits in the mix just right. So that Cameron, was a can you. of worms. <laughs> <laughs> Cameron, you're the you're the loud amp player, right? You just show up with a noisy thing, and I don't it, show up to anything anymore because I don't I don't play with anybody. So. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, we got to get you out there. We got to get you back to those high school stadium days, Cameron. It'd be fun. I mean, I just, I just have don't, I don't have time to put into guitar stuff. So, just like what we were saying. In any case, this is Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I am joined today by Isaac, uh, Isaac Ransom, as always, usually. <laughs> I'm blue da da dee da 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 you oh know look goodness. at me on screen good lord you, so Cameron you're looking so orange because you got that nice warm thing for me I literally look purple what is happening I think it's probably just your screen but you know it doesn't really matter I'm, I'm in a weird lighting situation because the sun is setting right like in my window and then I've got like the lights in the background which are just room lights so yeah um, and it, it doesn't really matter for this show but most um, people listen so yeah exactly um yeah so today we watched 12 monkeys we're continuing sci-fi month um it's been a pretty fun ride we're kind of hitting some smaller or more um i would say like off the beaten path kind of hits uh, because uh, for us we're kind of sci-fi nerds we're uh, we're geeks when it comes to comes to this stuff um you know we've seen all the classics like star wars and blade runner and um you know, th- everything like that and the, uh, the Matrix and whatnot. So um, for me, it was important to hit some deeper cuts, some older things, uh, some some things that were a little more um, a little more interesting and, and sort of on the um, on the weirder side of things. So um, 12 Monkeys is a Terry, Terry Gilliam uh, movie. It's starring Bruce Willis, uh, Brad Pitt and um i can't remember her name oh madeline stowe that's her name um and yeah it is a very strange very interesting movie like most terry gilliam movies are um it's one that is based off of a um off of a french short film uh directed by chris marker um called la jete and uh, it's pretty much loosely based on it. Uh, it it doesn't it has the same plot structure in in some ways, uh, but it's very sort of it takes it in a different direction and a fun direction. And I I'd like to kind of have a conversation about both of them in some ways. Um, Isaac didn't get a chance to watch uh, La Jete, so we're doing it. We're focusing mainly on Twelve Monkeys, but yeah, this is um, this is a very interesting film. I'd like to go into. Uh, maybe some of the the plot themes and uh, sort of the general direction of the movie um, before we get into anything else. Isaac, you want to take us away? Yeah. Um, before we get into the plot and everything, I'm going to show for a second. If you enjoy the show, you can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Throw a couple dollars our way. You can get access to an exclusive commentary track each month and have your questions read on air. Uh, If you're a Patreon, actually, Tim Smith, one of our Patreons, wrote on a bunch of questions because we usually don't have many. So, um, Cameron, can I can I hit you with one of these real fast before we get to the plot? Sorry to like totally like you know derail us, but that's the name of the game. Sometimes, Um, I will keep it on track with film stuff. He wanted to ask you, Cameron, specifically you. What is your end goal for this podcast? Um, How many shows do you think you'll have covered? um, Or wait, how many shows until you think you have covered most of the ground indeed at the start of the show? Um, Do you see the show evolving? And what are your concerns about being another movie podcast? That is a lot of questions. There's even one more. (laughs) Will you ever interview a podcast in which you'd be the novice compared to the host? So, because Cameron is our expert, right? So, he's asking you, where's the show going, right? Um, have we covered enough ground? Or how <laughs> how much ground do you really see going as with me being the novice and as the show's changing around that? 
Yeah, well, um, I, I mean, I always came into this podcast as sort of an experiment in a lot of ways of um, how can I turn someone who is, um, you know, uh, like uh, an avid watcher of of all things Marvel and, um, you know, that that sort of realm into a, uh, a cinephile who's interested in sort of older movies or interested in black and white movies or, um, you know, has a taste for those sorts of things. Um, because for me, I always loved, um, seeing in school or in, uh, throughout my, my friend group or whatever, you know, you introduce them to, to a certain amount of movies. And I think everybody, everybody sort of catches the gene. Um, if, if they all, or catches the bug, I guess, if they all have the, um, you know, if they're interested in movies and then and they like movies, um, there's a pathway for you to get into sort of the deeper cuts of things. Um, and so for me, there's a lot more to go. There's there's a lot more um, realm to cover. I think we had kind of a really interesting big step uh, with the Billy Wilder month, personally, um, because I thought that was a really like um, for actually for you, I th I felt like that was a pretty pivotal moment in terms of um, you know your appreciation of those sorts of things. Um, but uh, where do I see this podcast going? I mean, I think. I think that's really up to, um, well, we, I mean, we both really love doing this. So, um, it's something that we enjoy and it's something that we like to do. Um, if it turns out that we get to a point where, uh, you know, we're both sort of, well, you know, we're not, we're not, I think we, you, the thing is you could always learn more. You could always cut deeper. You could always go into, into more niche and more subcultures and more, um, interesting cuts of things. Um, and for me, the best way to learn about film is exposure to film. It's about, it's about watching as many films as possible. So, um, if we could keep it going like this forever, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, and I think, you know, we call it an expert and a casual, but I, I do think I'm still learning. Um, I do think I'm still sort of, um, I, you know, normally I probably wouldn't call myself an expert if it weren't for branding and the branding of the show. So, um, for, for me, I'm still learning when it comes to these, um, uh, to these episodes. And that's always cool to see is like, um, what can we do to, to sort of stretch our minds? What can we do to push ourselves in, in this realm, um, of filmmaking? And so, yeah, so that's that's kind of a, I guess a meandering answer to all of the questions. I would say, um, did I miss one? No, no. I I think the only thing I want to add with the evolution of the show is the although we always say it's an expert and a casual. Really, one of the things that I enjoy tapping into is like, what does the normal audience think? Yeah, right. You know, my my knowledge has grown because of Cameron's exposure. You're right. Billy Wilder was an important month for me. Um, and I think it made me view kind of old black and white movies substantially differently, like compared to what even we had seen up until then, right? Um, I think this podcast has a large opportunity to change and evolve in ways. But that center thesis of like, what do like real viewers actually think of it? Can they consume this? That conversation will continue. Yeah. One of my favorite um, episodes that I've done that had been more experimental was Glenn and I's commentary track, He's My Brother, uh, around the score of Empire Strikes Back, which I think, you know, if you don't listen to any of the commentary tracks and you're a Patreon, it's consumable without watching the movie. Most people mm -hmm. have seen Empire, right? Like that sort of thing where we're, we're going to branch out, maybe bring in new voices, do different things, like all that stuff's on the table. We're not going to just sit to the formula, but the formula is fun for Cameron and I. At mm -hmm. the end of the day, like we're having a lot of fun doing the show. Um, we have a lot of other things going on in our lives and, you know, careers and stuff to pursue. So we're going to keep it there, but there's a ton of headroom to be able yeah. to change stuff. So. And uh, there was one that I didn't a answer, which is, would I ever be the novice? Um, and yeah, that's already happened. It's it's called when whenever Juzo comes on the podcast. Um, <laughs> um, and he's always correcting me, Juzo, always correcting me. Because um, sometimes I get dates wrong. But hey, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, Tim has a lot more questions. We'll probably run through one more at the end of the show that's a little more fun. Um, again, patreon.com slash ECFS productions if you want to have your questions read on air. That's why you have that benefit. If you don't have dollars, Cameron and I, we get it. Just give us a rating on iTunes. Tell friends and family. That is how the show grows. I'm done with the shilling. I'm glad that we got a chance to answer a question finally after we've been promoting it for like months and no one's written in. Let's get back to the plot. Yeah, let's get back to the plot of 12 Monkeys. So this movie follows Bruce Willis's character stuck in a post-apocalyptic future. Uh, He's a prisoner and he's sent on some missions to go up to the surface. Humanity's living underground and he is sent out to, you know, find specimens. Essentially, this civilization that's barely hanging on to life is looking for the cause of a deadly virus that killed off everyone above the land. That's why they're all hiding underground. Um, And so Bruce Willis is tasked with going back in time to discover some of the origins of this virus. And it's done in a very strange, artistic way with an obsession with like the wide angle lens, which I thought was very funny. And, um, it's a trip, man. Like if you, if you, if you're thinking like kind of in a casual viewer's perspective, right. Um, I was, I was thinking about that scene in like Avengers infinity war, where they show like the timeline and all the different timelines split, right? This movie really has fun with time and, and kind of, like what is the start and what is the finish? And there's all these flashbacks very well uh, weaved together in something that comes out to be just sort of like an enjoyable ride. It's it's engaging. It's um, there's some great acting performances. I, I had never seen Brad Pitt act this way, and I love it. Yeah, he's so, great. And that's really- yeah, I mean, do you think that summarizes it enough or do we want to start giving away the ending? Because I don't really want to. No, I think that's a Yeah, that's a great place to start. I would say, um, you know, just on top of that, uh, um, the, the, kind of the crux of this movie, which is sort of the time travel element, um, comes down a lot to uh, uh, the fact that when you in this universe, when you travel back in time, you're really disoriented. Um, and that is taken directly from La Jete. So um, I'll explain it a, a little bit for you, um, where um, in La Jete, they say, um, essentially, like, if you don't have a strong mind and a strong will, um, you're just going to go crazy. Like you're, mm, they, mm. they say your body and your mind can't exist in two different times. Um, right. And so, so this movie does this movie. That's, that's kind of mostly what this movie experiments with is the idea of, um, sort of someone who is completely unused to, um, the time period that they're sent back to being like extremely disoriented acting in a, in a highly volatile and, um, you know, in a manner that you would consider someone nowadays, you know, if they were acting like that, you would consider them to be crazy. So, um, that's a, that's a fun part of the premise. And it's also one that, um, I think isn't really experimented with all that much. It's very like, um, you know, you, you, when you time travel in these movies, it's like, oh, we just go back and everything's normal. You know, it doesn't really matter that I'm dressed completely differently or that I'm, you know, talking in a completely different accent or that, you know, whatever else. Um, and, and yeah, it's pretty impressive that this like um, strange, odd, off the wall, very, um, it has a very like uh, difficult structure, I would say, in terms of like what, what things are happening and, you know, whatever things weave together by. Um, you're kind of, you know, it's kind of jerky in in some ways because he's like stuck in a place for for you know a couple of scenes and then he's um, whisked away and there's there's a lot of things that happen and then there's like frenetic really frenetic scenes where he's you know acting crazy and whatnot and then you know so um, it's very interesting that that's able to sort of captivate you um, and keep you hooked in um, and like you said I think part of it has to do with um, Bruce Willis's performance and Brad Pitt's performance. I think they're just really, really um, excellent in this movie. 
Um, I do want to talk about, you mentioned uh, the wide angles and the, <laughs> I would say also the Dutch angles. Um, these are very Terry Gilliam. This is like stylistically a Terry Gilliam movie. So mm. um, just for reference there, it's like, it's very much in his canon. It's very much in his um, in his way of so- telling stories is to be sort of wild with the camera, um, be a little bit loose, be a little bit off the wall in terms of of the script and in terms of the way things flow in a scene. Um, and I think this movie does a really good job of of like keeping you guessing. I guess. Um, yeah, I would say I th- I found the um, interesting artsy more like quote unquote confusing elements in the film to actually be cohesive mm-hmm. uh, throughout. And it was like, you're exposed to it pretty early on. You learn to just deal with it as a viewer. And then it, it kind of just continues to make sense. Even up until the point where like Bruce Willis ends up in the civil war. Yeah. You're not even really like <laughs> or world war. You, it's world war one. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Sorry. World war one. You're not even confused, you know, like, it's yeah. like okay, he's just there now, and I, I I accept it. But it it has a lot to do with those early um, moments in the film where mm-hmm. they're like, this is the style, and it's also very weird. Like there's that Tokyo Jungle looking scene with all the animals outside, you know, when he goes up above the surface, and there's all those like zoo animals and stuff, and, and I'm like, what the like that was the moment where I was like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> But I'm kind of bought in, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there on out, I'm like, just take me away. Whatever you want to do, take me away. I'm in I'm in it for the ride. And I think this movie has a good pace and it's yeah, it's it's pretty solid all around. I also want to say that the last 30 minutes, because it was getting late. Usually when I'm watching a movie past midnight, like it hit midnight, and I was like, 30 minutes to go. Like it felt like a blink of an eye. The last half hour yeah. is like extremely engaging it's done in a second and you're like what happened in the half hour you know yeah like and i mean that's where a lot of the sort of the payoffs and the twists um sort of unfold is in the last 30 minutes um and it's really really brilliantly done i mean it's like it's everything you see what like you see the setup of the of what's happening you know you see everything sort of um the pieces a line and then when it all clicks together it's like it's done in such an effective way um i really really like that last sequence um it, you know um that sequence and some of the stuff in the beginning are very similar to um Legette. and so um that's kind of where it's heavily based off of that's that's maybe the most um, where it, it takes from is that that sort of end twist and the um, the intrigue around there. Um, well, Cameron, before we get into the spoilers and conclusion stuff, because we'll warn you before we get into that. Yeah, I want to get into maybe some of the technical facts or interesting things about this film that we can point out without really digging our teeth into the plot, interpretation of stuff, right? Um, Take us take us there before we really give away the ending. Yeah, so um, this film was bought by... Um, oh, no. Now I'm going to forget. Um, it was basically optioned from uh, Chris Marker and his original story uh, because one of the producers was a big fan of La Jette, And so um, they were... Um, they had to kind of petition Marker for... Um, for the rights to the to the movie, um, and he got a he obviously got a screenplay credit, but um, they approached Terry Gilliam about it, um, and yeah, it, I don't know, it's it's kind of a, um, I guess it's kind of an interesting um, way that his career worked. I'm not like a huge Terry Gilliam uh, uh, connoisseur or anything, so. If I get any of this wrong, I, I apologize. But um, he started off on Monty Python, um, and so that's sort of what he did in in this, uh, uh, the 70s, and that was his thrust. And then he started directing, um, and he made um, – I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Brazil, um, Isaac? I have not, no. Yeah, so he made Brazil in 1985, and then um, uh, he – 
uh, you know, he would go on mostly to make, um, you know, he, he basically made Brazil, um, <laughs> the uh, 12 Monkeys, and uh, pretty much all um, <laughs> Monty Python movies. And Oh, you know, and he, also Brazil. Don't forget about Brazil. And um, uh, you know that movie, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which is the last <laughs> Heath Ledger uh, movie? Heck? No, I don't um, know what that is. Yeah, he also directed that. So. Okay. In any case, uh, yeah, that's his um, trajectory. He started off, you know, in comedy and in um, in that world of things, and then he made a couple pretty serious and not very funny, dramatic sci-fi movies. <laughs> and um, but the, one of the things about it is is he's uh, as a filmmaker, you can kind of tell that his um, with the pace of his movies and with the um, sort of frantic energy of his movies. Uh, you could tell that he came from Monty Python. I don't know. Are you are you um, particularly familiar with with Monty Python? No, I've watched a little bit of The Life of Brian and, uh, of course, The Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah. Um, but do you? I mean, do you kind of uh, get that it's like the same energy, a similar energy? In a some little ways? bit, actually. Yeah. Now that you mention it, because the way that this movie is like cut up from scene to scene does yeah. have a little bit of what what you're saying. Yeah, he also um, a couple of years ago um, he made a movie called. Um, uh, Don Quixote, um, and uh, I saw it at a film festival, and it wasn't very good. So, oh, not. I was gonna say, it, you know, I think maybe it was the, like the asylum scene and stuff, but I was like, I feel like this guy could make a pretty good quirky '90s Batman movie, and <laughs> I don't know. I I just there was a little bit of that energy with it, and I just I don't know. Like I was like. I, maybe he did. That's kind of where my head was at. I, I I didn't know who the director was. So, yeah, um, yeah. This was sort of a smaller budget movie. Um, although you know, it's not like tiny. I guess uh, people ended up taking pay cuts pay cuts to work on this film, which is hmm. you know obviously usually that's a sign of a director who's in um, great demand. Is when people are like they're willing to forego their usual rates. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I don't have anything all that technical. Um, it's kind of, you know, for me, the more interesting part of this movie is to get into the spoilers, unfortunately. So, um, well, yeah, if you haven't seen the movie, it's old, you know, it's from the eighties. So go watch it. Uh, my dad loves this movie. So there's the, there's a recommendation that you can stand by. Um, but yeah. So let's let's talk about spoilers. Let's talk about sort of the full circle and maybe some interpretation stuff, Cameron. Tell us about the end of the plot, the the tying of the bow, and those moments that really stood out to you. Yeah, so um, the crux of this movie centers around, um, you know, Bruce Willis's character, and he, throughout the movie, you see him have sort of either a dream or a flashback. Uh, you're, it's not really all that clear um, from, you know, just the movie itself. Um, and, you know, it's a flashback of someone in an airport, someone running down with, a, with you know, a gun in the airport, and, um, and you know, they're shooting at him, and uh, in the, in La Jette, there's, uh, there's voiceover where it says, basically, um, this is when I first realized that, that I saw a dead man, basically. So, um, that's kind of the, the significance or to highlight the significance of, um, that scene for him, uh, for his character. It's something that he always dreams about, um, and thinks about. And so, um, what ends up happening is they're trying to stop or, you know, apprehend a man from um, stealing and um, distributing the uh, the deadly virus on these planes. And up to this point in the movie, you really start, or you you know, you're kind of led on to this red herring about uh, that it's the the army of the twelve monkeys. Um, you know that it's the group that Brad Pitt is is. Uh, um, the the group that Brad Pitt is leading and and he's he is pretty off the wall and he is pretty uh crazy <laughs> i guess um but you know you you 
throughout the movie, you're kind of led on to believe that like, oh, not only did, um, you know, Brad Pitt and the army of the 12 monkeys uh, start this virus, but he was actually, Bruce Willis was actually the one who suggested it in the first place, um, starting off this sort of chain reaction. Um, uh, yeah, but, uh, by the end, um, you realize that it's, it's a guy who's kind of been hiding in plain sight all along. It's the assistant to the, you know, virologist and, um, and the characters realize that too. And what, what plays out is, um, the dream in Bruce Willis's head. Um, and Bruce Willis is the man who he sees get shot in the future. Um, and, um, it's sort of this circular time loop, um, right. that, that is, is very intriguing and, um, you know, it's, it's your life, your life coming to coming full circle of you watching as a kid, you know, your, your own death. So, um, yeah, what I, what I think is interesting, uh, you know, part of it is that I, I'm not the most bright movie watcher, right? But I thought that this film ended with sort of no conclusion to the virus thing. I, for some reason, the lady that sits down at the plane uh, on the plane with the guy who's carrying the vials that are deadly, right? It didn't click in my brain that she was from the future. I was like, Oh, it's that lady again, but she's not like, she was like, Oh, I I'm in insurance or something. I'm like, is she like, like, I don't understand. Is it another one of those coincidence things? I actually thought that the final statement of the film was almost like this, purgatory loop or something like that where it was like he is stuck endlessly watching his own death or being killed and then the loop Mm -hmm. starts again and again and again right yeah um and so like that ending statement minus the resolution was pretty dark for me, like walking out of it. Even with even with the resolution, it doesn't really, you know, sort like save the sort of dark undertone that Bruce yeah. Willis's character. Well, that loop still exists. I mean, whether or not you know it gets broken in the future. I mean that that is what we watch. That that loop is what we see. So, yeah, and and even if they get like the solution to this virus, right? It still plays into like Willis's character being misunderstood and used by almost everyone around him, you know, Mm -hmm. and how he's like subjected to this torturous loop. And then also like just being used. I don't know. Like it's, it's in, it's there, there's like all these underpinnings and then there's also like this conversation around mental health that they spend a good portion of the first half of the film on, right? Where it's like he's uh, institutionalized for being mentally insane because like because he's from the future, but like what choice did he have? Well, to, like, and it, it doesn't really show it in the beginning, but you know, when he gets zapped back to the future, he's just dropped without clothes. You know, he's just like, yeah. he's just dropped naked and I'm sure he's disoriented, you know, and he's in the jail cell and he's like drooling all over the, all over himself. So like, he's obviously, you know, he's in a, he's in a bad state when he gets to, to, 1990 or whatever um and that's a fun interesting part of the movie too because he's like oh i was like i'm not supposed to be here like if i'm here this is the wrong time like (laughs) this is this is and so he's kind of helpless in that way um and yeah throughout the movie it's kind of interesting because he you know he both has complete agency in that he does like he he does so much uh to like activate the plot or he does like so much like as a character um he's moving things along a lot um he's not like an inactive character uh but at the same time in the in terms of the of the story and in terms of the movie like he um he doesn't have any agency at all as a character um you know even if he does do what he's supposed to do or not do what he's supposed to do, which he does both at, at different times in the movie. Um, he's, he's still either just a pawn or doomed to this sort of endless loop. 
Um, which I guess is, you know, like you said, it's pretty, it's a pretty bleak outlook in some ways. Um, but it's also, it's also kind of interesting because, you know, with these time travel movies, there's the idea about, um, the ability to change the past or, you know, the idea, the idea of, you know, the grandfather paradox, or if you go, you know, if you go back in time and kill your grandfather, could you go back in time to kill your grandfather? Right. Um, and this movie kind of sidesteps that I would say in a little bit, um, where it, it, it basically says you, you're, um, you know, you, you, yes, maybe you could, uh, affect the future. Uh, but as in terms of your individual story, you're pretty much pressed in, um, and Bruce Willis finds that he's, you know, as much as he tries to get away from from his own story, um, he falls right into his own trap, basically. Yeah, I, I, I've seen sci-fi movies like this before that have not done it well. Does that make sense? Yeah, where they're trying to embrace these larger than life questions in the setting of science fiction or post-apocalyptic looking stuff. Right. Um, and I think that fallen earth situation is prone to have people sort of, you know, like consider humanity and life and choice. Right. But what I enjoyed about 12 monkeys is that it had those moments, but it also, had like so much joy in like the small tastes tastes of like mm. what's good about life now. And the, the, the statements at the end of the film or the stuff you can walk away with is direct and also kind of open to interpretation, like in a good way. There's a lot of movies that are like, what are they saying? It could mean anything, you know, like yeah. we watch, um, Kubrick's Space Odyssey, right? And the ending of that, like, I guess maybe there's a understanding for it, but in my eyes, I'm like, you could say anything you want about this movie and almost make it work, you know? Yeah. Um, which is me basically giving up on interpretation. This film does not make me want to give up. This film is like, I think I, I, I think I'm getting it, and I want to watch it again, and I'm sort of pulling these ideas out of like 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 concepts that Bruce Willis's character is facing in in his in his journey where he's like I'd rather just run away or this moment where I can enjoy music I love music you know what I mean like there's these small snippets where he's like he's he's almost speaking in to valuing life right or Valuing. when he starts to accept that he is crazy, which is a uh, which is another really interesting yeah, pivot yeah. to his character when he starts to be like, yeah, no, I'm I'm, you know, I'm different. I'm just I I I understand that what I think is not real, you know, <laughs> and it's like, but we know as I mean, you know, in in some ways you could interpret this movie as as all being in his head, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. but. I, I don't think that's a very interesting <laughs> interpretation of the movie, personally. But um, but it is cool that it could almost work. Yeah. You yeah. could write a paper about this film and have it be two different films, like, all together, right? Yeah. Um, and it wouldn't seem like that in the first viewing, but it's weird. Like, there's even statements in this film script where they're like, you know, going back and seeing things a second time or something like, like, like all the scenes with him in the metal chair and the scientist poking at him are little snippets of exposition almost thrown at you as the audience, like to look for certain things. I thought the setup at the airport at the ending was, was bound to come. Like I wasn't mm -hmm. surprised by it. No. Right. They yeah. had been teasing it the entire film. What I found m the most intriguing was all the involvement from the future stuff in that scene, like the, like his buddy showing up randomly, yeah, and and giving all this commentary about what's been happening, and he call you know he calls the mattress the quote unquote mattress supply people, and uh, and the guy comes in and he's like, here, take this, like you gotta you gotta go, like you gotta you gotta kill that guy, basically, yeah, yeah. Why'd you take your teeth out, man? Yeah, yeah, and then there's like 
also the to to go along with the kinetic energy of the film, right? They are wearing those wild costumes, like Bruce Willis with his um like mustache and glasses and yeah. mullet looking hair, like so cool. And he's wielding that mass, like the the big revolver. You know, it's just it sticks with you. Like that mm-hmm. ending scene just sticks with you. Um, all the characters in the faces, like for some reason that guy with the orange hair who's actually like wielding the virus is so off-putting and memorable <laughs> and i love yeah, it and like you see he's... the first time you see it you know something's off with that dude you know yeah, you, yeah. you're like you're like geez that guy's like really a creep you know <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like you know you think that this is like you get that inkling of of him being sort of part of the bad guy and then you see him again um you know they they hinted again when he's uh um, <laughs> when he's like this, he, you find out that he's the assistant virologist, you know, the assistant who's working on this, this deadly disease. Um, and that's where you get the, the setup to the twist, you know, that's where you kind of get that being like, Oh, like this is what's going to happen. You know, you get that setup of, um, instead of Brad Pitt, it's, you know, obviously going to be this creepy dude. Um, that's, that's, who's going to be. And then the third setup, I guess it is kind of the the revelation where he 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 names all of the cities um you know that he's going to yeah, or the lady yeah. who's checking him in names all the cities um which is a great you know like there's so many little moments of of interesting storytelling of like um setups and payoffs and you know in this movie and I I find that to be sort of um its strong suit in a lot of ways I think one of the struggles for me with this movie is like this, a lot of the dialogue is not very good. (laughs) Mm, Um, and just some of the, it like the script feels a little rough around the edges sometimes. Um, which is okay because I think the general thrust of the movie and the general, um, you know, the, what you get from the movie is really interesting and really fun. And, you know, and Gilli- uh, Gilliam is a very skilled and talented director where he's able to make, you know, keep things interesting, even if some things are a little weird or a little off putting. Like for me, that sequence, that ending sequence where he's like, you know, he gets shot and he's like laying on the ground and he's still in the mustache and the glasses and the wig. And like, you know, she comes over and she like kisses him and it's like super dramatic. Like that to me, that's Gilliam making fun of himself and his own like filmmaking and um and making fun of that sort of trope in these movies um because he's a he's a really humorous guy I mean yeah that shot that's just like on the kid's eyes for like way too long (laughs) you're like okay are you gonna cut anytime soon here nope you're just gonna stay on it right but it's effective too you know like that's Mm -hmm. that's what's fun about it is like he's he's so talented in drawing that um that that thin line you know where it's like it's like on the one hand yeah it's completely ridiculous this whole story and this whole idea is completely ridiculous but on the other hand you're strung along you know you you are totally into it um you know and especially i do want to get into brad pitt because i think we kind of glossed over him um he is kind of for me the one of the linchpins of this movie for it being as effective as it is. Um, Cause his performance is like off the chain. He is like incredible in this movie and everything he does is so unpredictable. It's so wild. You don't know what he's going to do next. You don't know where he's going to turn that he's the perfect red herring. You know what I mean? Like he's the perfect one to be like, okay like we're suspicious of him you're supposed to be suspicious of him and also you know that interaction in the in the insane asylum beforehand is so like you know he's helping bruce willis but he also is completely nuts and obviously like like you know that whole sequence where he's like he's like oh yeah killing the killing everybody in the world that that seems like a bit of a long term goal doesn't it you know <laughs> yeah like, he's he's ex- so funny to watch yeah. and um like it's just it's like just straight enjoyable um like his introduction with the chair and stuff <laughs> and his 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 strange like 
nonstop commentary about the world and TV and like corporate living and the whole structure of the insane asylum and stuff. It's he's like you play games and that's just just as good as getting drugged up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's he's he's great. I found him in the later parts of the film not as fun as he is in that first introduction. Yeah, in the insane asylum. But he serves the plot well. I think um, his conclusion of what the 12 monkeys end up doing is great. And it's a cool payoff, too, again, with that, like, Tokyo jungle thing with the animals running loose in the city and all that. Yeah, that's, like, you know, that's that's sort of the opening shot of, or one of the opening sequences in the movie is him going outside, seeing the bear in front of City Hall, seeing the mm-hmm. lion on top of the, the mall or whatever, you know, and, like... That that is an interesting, you know. Like I said, there's so many really good and fun payoffs in this movie if you're paying attention to it. Um, yeah, I guess uh, let's talk a little bit about Legete. Um, I do want you to watch it at some point because I think it's um, it would be an interesting comparison to this movie. But um, you know, Legete is pretty weird. It's pretty strange, and it was definitely weird for the time because. Um, it is, and I didn't tell you this because uh, I was hoping you were going to watch it, but I'll tell you now. It's fine. I'm sorry. Um, we're, it was just a scheduling no, thing. No, no. Yeah, it's okay. No. Um, uh, Legete is all uh, frames, all pictures. Um, the movie is entirely basically a slideshow. Oh. Um, and the storytelling is really fun because, you know, you think that and you're like, oh, that seems like kind of lazy, right? Um you know, of, of just being a slideshow. Um, but really it's, it's actually impressively well done because, um, the, the cinematography and the mise-en-scene in the movie is like really amazing. It's like genuinely something that is, um, super cool to watch and super interesting. Um, and you get, you get the sense that this was like put together in sort of like the post-apocalypse too. You know, you get the sense Mm, that the storytelling mm. is, is from the perspective of someone who's, who's lived through it or from the perspective that it's been there. Um, yeah, I really, I really think it's, it's super interesting. And then, um, the crux of the movie comes, uh, from, from this same interaction where, um, in the beginning of the movie, he says, I, um, you know, when I was, when I was 10 or whatever, um, I was on the, I was on the airport and, um, and I saw a man running and the, um, you know, and and the guards were chasing and they shot, they shot the man. And that, that was the first time that I had ever seen, you know, someone die in front of me. And I, I'll always remember like the face of this woman. And then Paris was bombed. Um, and it gets like, uh, you know, you get sort of a, a huge montage of like the aftermath of a nuked Paris. And, um, and then, you know, he, he, this, this guy, this narrator is, um, explaining how he was chosen for a program to go back in time and to stop, um, you know, whatever's about to happen. And you find out in the end that, um, it, lo and behold, the person who was shot at the beginning, who sort of sets off this, uh, this chain of, of events is, is this man is the same guy. So, um, that's sort of where the story comes from. And it's not quite as like in depth developed, I guess. Um, it's not quite as, uh, there's, there's more to it because it's only a short film. So there's more to it in, in 12 monkeys, but, um, yeah, I just find it really interesting that like, um, I think this. I think the story of that, the story of that sort of time loop, is um, intriguing to audiences, and is something that could probably be done again. Or, um, you know, they made a Twelve Monkeys TV show as well. Um, and I was thinking, watching this, like, oh, it, it probably would be interesting to see, like more of Bruce Willis in 1990 or more of Bruce Willis as he goes back to World War One or so, you know what I mean? Like, like that, that could be, that could be an interesting expansion. I, I think it would break the pace of this movie and the pace is so good, um, that, you know, you don't really want to mess with it, but, um, yeah, but, uh, I don't know. That's, that's sort of my little, my small thing about, about Legette is it's, it's a very interesting experiment in the idea of, um, you know, storytelling with single frames and, um, and 
what that can do for, you know, for your characters and for your story. Well, I may end up still watching it um, for the commentary track. I might comment, do a commentary with Glenn over it. Um, but if he, if my brother feels like watching something else, we might just do a commentary track over another film. Um, so yeah, but actually it does sound interesting, Cameron, even though it was just frames, I was glad you were hiding that from me, but the way you talk about it still makes it sound quite neat. So it's funny you brought up having a sequel or something. Um, I I couldn't stop thinking about like looper with Bruce Willis Mm -hmm. and just when you're thinking about time loops and stuff. He's into it, I guess, or or, or something. I don't know because he's in that movie, so maybe that's his. Maybe that's his thing. I have no idea. Mm. Um, and he hasn't aged a day, so he looks like he's in a time loop. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very <laughs> true. Um, yeah, his performance is great. Uh, Brad, uh, like I think Brad Pitt is worth the price of admission. Yeah, because you're too. gonna see him early on, and you'll be hooked at that point, and then. Bruce Willis's character gets more complex after the asylum and then you're just then the movie ends and you're he's like, oh. pretty off the chain too and like you you were shocked by some of the things that he does um and you like there's definitely a fake out during the middle where um you think that he's murdered the the prof- the doctor lady yeah yeah um and it's totally believable too because you're like dude this guy is crazy he like kidnaps her he like ties her to the bed and whatnot and like mm-hmm. y- you know and and so you um that's a fun b plot as well because um you get the sense that obviously you know in the context of the world um in 1996 bruce willis's um it would be looked at as like a crazy kidnapper and as someone who's like, <laughs> you know, like totally off the rails. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought everything with like the hobo underground place and like the actual home and the 12 monkeys, that weird shop, like all that stuff was like, I felt like I was leaning into my TV screen, you know, I'm like, yeah. Oh, I want to see what's around every corner and it's very tense and on edge and nobody knows what's happening but it's it's fascinating to think like the end of the world is coming from such a like rough area in the neighborhood like it's it's like there's there's stuff you can break down and pull from that right you know like where it's like like society is crumbling already you know like it it, it's already happened and no one was noticing so um yeah there's a lot to enjoy about this movie i'm sure there's a lot of different thesis ideas you can pull if you're writing about film and and whatnot um things you can apply or or look at in your own sort of life and perspective um cameron do you want to get to recommendations because i think we're just about at the point i think people know where where we're at yeah um well i why don't you go first because i'm interested to see what you think yeah i think that this movie is actually for everyone and i'm surprised that i'm i'm saying that because it is a little weird it's a little strange it's it's kind of out there um but i i find it difficult to imagine anybody watching this film and like absolutely just not enjoying any of it at all like yeah even for the person with the shortest attention span it has this frenetic pace that that keeps you hooked. And yeah. if you're bored by the obnoxiousness of that, you'll at least be kind of surprised by the direction of the plot or the payoffs or the acting performances with Brad Pitt and stuff. There's just a, there's a bunch to enjoy. Even though I'm giving it a rating of for everyone, I don't know if this movie is like one of my all time favorites, you know, yeah. like it's yeah. not like this movie that I'm like, I'm dying to watch again, or it's sticking with me. But it kind of is, you know, like it's sort of this lingering thing where there are these small bits that are are really like stand out from the ending to, you know, the doctor lady painting on the wall, like the 12 monkeys live here, the animals in the city, like all all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, her being the one to call the the carpet company and right, you know, Merry Christmas. Yeah. 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 It feels like it should be more iconic. If yeah, I'm being honest, I I agree. I actually totally agree with that. Um, 
I kind of think this movie is a little bit underrated, honestly. Um, yeah. Like people don't yeah. really think about it or consider it all that much. Um, yeah. You know what? I I I was leaning towards um, for the, the for everyone or for what's the one above everyone? Um, uh, like the casuals. Yeah, I was kind of in between them. Um, I get what you mean, though. I think about a movie when 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 I, when I watched this movie this time, I, I thought about it in terms of um, like like my feeling of of watching Tenet. Um, you know, where it's like a very complex plot, something that, uh, you know, deals with time and time travel and sort of um, different uh, different time warps and loops and, you know, whatever else. And Tenet is such a less enjoyable movie than this. Um, and uh, it's less understandable. You don't really get what's going on most of the time. Um and that was a movie that's kind of, I think, geared towards like a mostly casual audience or mostly like an yeah. action blockbuster audience. Um, this movie, I think, is kind of more underground nowadays, but is way more approachable and way more enjoyable than a movie like like Tenet. Like it's totally like Back to the Future where it's like they don't care about the 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 actual like um, – <laughs> <laughs> they don't really care about like the science or the technology or the anything like in detail about the time travel. Like that doesn't really matter at all. Um, they just, they just like do it because it's, that's the plot, you know? So like it, it's totally accessible in that way and not, it's not like a movie like primer or something where it's like, what is happening? Like, where are they? Which yeah, what time yeah. zone are they in? Or, or even like tenant where it's like, wait, are they, I know they're backwards, but why are they, where do they, who's what what's happening (laughs) you know what i mean yeah i think like one of i felt weird giving it the for everyone rating but one of the things i noticed in viewing it is my dad's a big fan of this film but they my parents go to bed at like 10 like that is like on the dot that's just like who they are right um but we started watching this at 10 and my dad's like let's stay like let's stay up for half an hour like i really want to watch this movie because i like it you know and we're watching it and my mom always falls asleep in movies like always but she was like wide eye like yeah i'm into this you know and as soon as like brad pitt was on screen she's like this is so funny like i love this guy like i'm totally and then you know 12 or 10 45 rolls around my dad's like okay <laughs> i gotta go to sleep because i got work in the morning and my mom was like oh like i just kind of want to sit here and watch the rest she doesn't like sci-fi movies that much mm-hmm. you know so i was like there's something about it there's something about it that's really appealing i wouldn't feel weird recommending this movie to anyone you know yeah if you like are absolutely terrified of sci-fi or any conversation around like mental health or anything i don't know like i'm sure there's someone out there that hates this movie or thinks it's just like this quirky mess but i think to most people i i would say to most people that could at least get through it and be like okay like there was some stuff i could i found that i liked or didn't like and you know it's not going to be this unbearable experience. You know, I think it, it has a charm, a pace and an execution that is just sort of universal. Yeah. Um, despite the weirdness. So, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. It's like charming quirk. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not, it's not inaccessible. It's not like a, uh, like that movie. Um, uh, I'm thinking of ending things, you know, where it's oh, like, geez. it's like, uh, that is a movie that is super inaccessible um, because of its weirdness. Um, but this movie is like totally the opposite. It's kind of, you kind of lean in and enjoy it more because it's weird, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Yeah. I think that pretty much wraps it up. Cameron, you have a shot of the film? Um, I really like that. I really like the World War One sequence. I think that's like mm. kind of interesting and like there's there's some fun visual storytelling in there. Um, I um, I don't know. Uh, I feel. I why don't you go? Because I I'll think about it. Yeah, I really enjoyed most of the stuff with the animals. There was a shot yeah. of the lion roaring on top of the building, but the scene with the giraffes on the highway 
when yeah. they're like on the like that's super cool looking like I, I it could be a poster that you find in the back of ross you know like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just i love the um I, sorry i also love the shot of of him um you know where he's like dangling brad pitt off of the ledge and like everybody's in the background and they're all like they all notice them having like a fight upstairs and they all like turn around i, I love that uh-huh. shot yeah um, yeah yeah that's a good one it's a really good one so that comfort what happened to his eye uh brad pitt's eye yeah there's like this like his eye is like red like one eye they don't really explain it i know but like the cover of the 12 monkeys movie has like that red eye you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm just like what happened like did he get like a robo techno eye or something and then like later in the movie it doesn't seem like he that the the eye thing is noticeable as much but with that the scene in the mansion like he has like this flaming like left eye or something like that so um yeah i don't I was confused by that, but maybe it's just I don't know. Maybe he had two crazy eyes the whole time. I don't know. I I it wasn't it was kind of something I forgot about and didn't really think about. So <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. Yeah, there's there's a ton of wide angle stuff done in this. To all to all those um camera people that are like only shooting on ultra wide. Stop. <laughs> I it, this is like I, I'm going to go on a tangent here. I do film stuff for work. In my eyes, if it's wide, it's ugly. <laughs> That's how I feel about most wide shots. This film does a good job, like balancing uh, the stuff with the wide. But in most cases, I absolutely hate wide shots. Yeah, that's you see the thing is, it's not. It's not really. You can do you can do a really good job with wide shots. It just has to be it takes more skill. We've talked about this before. It takes yeah. more effort and skill to do something good in a wide. Um 100%. And so I think that's what makes like I I I kind of feel like that's why there are a heavy use of like Dutch angles and things like that because they're trying to make it work with the wide shots. You know there's that you th- think about like the wide that's up in the corner of the room, almost like a security camera uh, in the insane asylum where Bruce Willis's character just goes missing, like the Houdini moment, right? Yeah. When um, it like pans up and there's the ceiling yeah. vent. I love that. Yeah. yeah, but they're making so much use of the space and the angle. Like you feel that security camera feeling, right? When they're putting yeah. up there, it's utilizing the wide correctly and it's so, like pretty voyeuristic too you know a lot of it feels like there's someone watching bruce willis um uh-huh because yeah. there is you know yeah and all those different like can we just comment like the weird ball that talks to him with all the different heads and eyes and things when he's strapped <laughs> in that chair the metal ball with the different scientists speaking to him yeah it's very cool very, it reminded cool me design. of um you know shark boy and lava girl the uh the george lopez robot <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i mean maybe that's where they got it from they were like we love 12 monkeys no george lopez walked up and said i love 12 <laughs> monkeys you're gonna give me one of these oh man yeah so overall check it out it's good it's worth it uh it's fun i'm surprised i'm surprised not many people know about this movie yeah, uh, yeah. so good way good way to continue the the trend in sci-fi I got to say, Cameron, at least you've been a little chronological, right? We've started in the past with Metropolis, Space Odyssey. You know, we're in the 80s with RoboCop, and now here we're in the 90s. Where are we headed? What's what, where We're going with this next episode, and, well, and we might be going a little bit further into sci-fi into next month. Yeah, we'll do two... Um uh, we'll do pa- two Patreon choices, and I want to do modern uh, sci-fi films. I think it would be fun to do. You know, there's so many on the list. I couldn't even. I could. That's why I couldn't choose really. Um, so you know, I, I'll I'll post both of those tonight and um, the night that we're shooting this. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really. Uh, it it should be fun. I think there's so many good modern sci-fi movies. There's like it. It's kind of insane. There's like too many good modern sci-fi movies so yeah well i'm excited i'm excited to get into some modern territory and this was a pleasant surprise most definitely so 
It's been good, Cameron. It's been good to do some sci-fi stuff. Should we close the show with a question from our only write-in Patreon? Let's do it. Let's see. Let's see what Tim Smith has got for us here. All right. Let's see. Oh my goodness. All right, here we go, Cameron. Another another question about the show. Tim Smith asks, any chance of having two episodes per week? You could split my idea. One episode would be movie review and the other could be around movie news. Cameron, is it possible? Not right now. <laughs> let's yeah, let's, let's say this. If we have a Patreon goal of um, 2,000 patrons a month, then we could do it. No, I'll, I hear. I'll put it at this for our listeners. We're current. We if we can get a Patreon goal of let's do this. This is a reach. This is a big reach. I'm gonna say thirty patrons. If we can have thirty patrons, I'll talk to Juzo about doing a movie news show for us. So we have two. Um, two episodes a week i'm not saying that he's gonna do it <laughs> but i'm saying i would ask him i'm not gonna ask him until we hit that number so and you know what he's probably screaming in his chair right now he's like stop shilling for patreon stop shilling for patreon and even if we get to 30 patrons juzo is gonna say no because you shilled way too much <laughs> so again patreon.com slash ecfs productions he would I, i'm gonna be honest he would have to host that show because um he keeps track of things more than i do <laughs> oh i know that's why he'd be the perfect pick for it he would so. he would yeah i think that wraps it up we post every monday and we got a bunch more sci-fi coming your way make sure to check out all the stuff and tell friends and family we think the show's good if you have feedback too you can reach out to us message us uh message our instagram all our social stuff is ecfs productions so uh we'd love to get to know you even if you can't support us financially we're just trying to make the show grow and be the best it can for you guys so post every monday and we'll see you next week cinema spectator is an ecfs productions podcast executive produced by darren o'neill if you want your name read in the credits of the show you can check us out at patreon.com slash ecfs productions to achieve this status thank you darren for the support and for the rest of you we appreciate your support as well have a good one Bye.